Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash portland On this episode of the podcast, we are honored to welcome Miss Sherry Helt. Uh, Sherry is running for the Bureau of Labor and Industry, BOLI, which is a statewide nonpartisan office. She's a former legislator and small business owner out of Bend. Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, James and Nick. I really appreciate your time and to be able to have this uh time with your listeners as well yeah we've been trying to get sherry on for a little while now and it's just she's been busy and we've been busy and so finally got it you know here three days before the primary election so uh sherry why don't you take a couple minutes to fill in the gaps about who you are and how you got into politics and uh what what are you doing running for moley yeah first i will apologize to both of you for my messy schedule um it's been important for me to get across the state and meet a lot of voters that have been felt left out. Um, And I think that in Oregon, particularly, you know, we have a lot of people that just don't feel included uh, across our state. And so I've been trying to make sure that I'm meeting with people from the coast and people from um, Eastern Oregon. I went to Baker City yesterday uh, and just all across the state and meeting and going to small towns instead of just large towns and making sure that I'm hearing voices from everybody. So that's been um, the reason that I have been difficult to reach is the travel time. And I apologize uh, for that, but I have thoroughly enjoyed myself in meeting people in their workplace in, um, in and around the state of Oregon. And so it's been fun. That's a that's definitely a good reason to uh, to to have a goofy schedule, and it affords you a lot of time to listen to some good podcasts as you're driving all over the state. So I'm sure there was a bunch of rational Republican episodes on there. That's all. We'll we'll take the plug where we can get it. I'm just going <laughs> to insert that right there. Um, on, I'm just curious to to ask to start out with. Uh, you've got a restaurant Zydeco there in Bend, and I'm just I'm wondering kind of what the genesis of that was, or if you spent a lot of time in New Orleans, or kind of how how you got started with uh, uh, what is, I'm not just saying this because you're on, but what is a really good restaurant? (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. Um, So my husband and I, um, we traveled around the United States and we lived in 11 cities. We lived on every coast um, all over the United States. And we did that um, with our restaurant careers. And so when we had our children, our son was born in New York City. Our daughter was born in Scottsdale. And then we decided that we really wanted to find a place that we wanted to raise our children and settle down and not move anymore. Um, And so we started our own business and we moved to Bend. And so that was 18 years ago. um, And it was a really, really great choice. You know, sometimes when you make those choices, you never know if they're going to work out. Um, So we bought a very small house in Bend 
just to make sure that if our business didn't work out, that we would be able to still live here and raise our kids here because we really loved it. And it has so far, knock on wood, um, worked out until today. Um, so we, we know we're only as good as our last meal. So we try and make sure that your every meal that you come in for is good. But we have been serving um, at Zydeco for 18 years. And um, we've raised our kids here. One is in college in Savannah. And the our oldest son is in Poland, um, serving on a NATO base over there. Yeah, kind of a big deal. Um, yeah, and good for him. So, yeah, he he wanted to serve his country, um, and and we're proud of him. It's you know a little terrifying, I'll be honest, as a mom. Um, but he's three miles from the Belarus border, uh, wow. and we get to talk to him about every week. Um, this week we haven't been able to talk to him for the last five days, so we're looking forward to tomorrow. We usually hear from him on Sundays. Um, so he's officially raised. Um, we've done our job and our due diligence, right? And he's off doing his own career, and um, so is our daughter working on her senior year in college. And then we have an 11-year-old. And so she was born in Bend, um, and she's being raised in Bend, and we were so fortunate with the way that the community received us that we were able to give back. And we wanted to give back because people supported our business in such a tremendous way that we never thought they would. And so we felt so fortunate that I ran for the school board uh, to give back um, to our community. And so I served on the school board for just under a decade. Um, and so that was just some of the most rewarding nonpartisan work I think that anyone could do, uh, really bringing, a, you know, working with teachers and the teachers unions and this um, paid staff, um, all the support staff, the bus drivers um, and their union as well. And negotiating contracts, um, working with large budgets. We had one hundred and sixty five million dollar budget, uh, every biennium that we were in charge of. Eighty five percent of that is the labor uh, that goes into the school district. And so overseeing that for 10 years, but in the same way, we were able to increase transparency, um, up accountability. And with that, what happened is we raised our graduation rates 10% and all of our test scores um, for our SATs and ACTs to match, uh, the, to exceed the national average. And so those were big um, hurdles that we accomplished together. And that was some of the best work that I think I've ever been a part of because we were a community working together. You know, there was no I in that team. There was just a, a seven board members and administrative staff and 2,500 um, employees and 17,000 students. And so when everyone was working in the same direction, it went really well. And so that was great. So that was the start of how I got into politics, which I think you did ask me that, James. And then from there, when Newt Bueller ran for governor, he asked me um, to run for his seat. Uh, and so I did. And I was able to win that seat. And I served in the legislature for two years. And it was really a lot of fun. I know I'm I'm divulging my nerdiness, but I've already confessed to Nick and James that I'm quite a nerd. Um, but I really enjoyed working on a state level of making policies that could bring good for the state of Oregon and help people. And um, that was it was a really rewarding experience. One of the last things that you and I talked about when we met in person most recently is that I'm actually a graduate of Mountain View High School there in Bend. And I this summer is actually my 20 year high school reunion. So, I mean, first of all, yikes, 20 years. Uh, but I just barely missed out on the Sherry Help 
tenure. Uh, so I, I was the uh, back back before it was good. You know, back before the increased. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's because of students like you that she needed to run, and she's like, "Boy, we gotta fix this place up." <laughs> fix this place. Yeah, exactly. No, his gra- he was adding to the high highness of the graduation rate during his graduation year. Yeah. yeah so as um, school board chair, you got to sign eleven hundred diplomas a year, which was really cool. And quite an honor to be. That was always my favorite day of the year as a school board member was to be um, sitting up on the stage and handing out the diplomas to the kids um, because you get to see their families and how proud they are and just all their accomplishments. It's it's just um, a phenomenal moment in time. I don't think in our lives um, today we take enough time to celebrate traditions um, and really take time out and celebrate our successes. And that is one of the things that we still do really well is celebrate graduation during the pandemic, not so much. And it um, broke my heart for those kids because it's one of the only times that your family really gets together and celebrates you and um, an achievement that you've made. Right. Right. Well, so now you're running for Bowley. Um, So I think that's one of the probably the least well-known statewide offices. At least that's my perception of it. Um, can you give us an idea of what they do and, and why this is an important position? Yeah, um, you're not wrong there. It is. I spend more time um, talking about what bully is and less time about my candidate candidacy and what I want to do, because most people don't know what it does. Um, and I think that's probably the right way to go. Right. If if an agency is doing a good job. Um, as taxpayers, we're not really aware of it unless we need it, right? And so I think all too often um, on the top of our minds is, you know, the employment department, which um, facilitates the unemployment checks and the failures that have happened in our governmental systems. And that's really what brings these agencies to a higher um mindset, I think. And so this is one of the rare things in in that it is an agency. And so it's an elected position, but it's elected because it's the oversight um, for civil rights for all employees, which means government employees as well, right? So you have to have an elected leader of it and it has to be separate um, because you couldn't have an appointed position and oversee um, the capital. So right. you have to be able to oversee the legislative branch as well. And we all know that there has been a ton of sexual harassment uh, cases inside the legislative body. And that's one of the big failures right now of Bully is that they were supposed to uphold a office and make sure that they were addressing that. And that has not been done. Um, and so that is something that we desperately need to do. But that's why this position is elected is because it oversees all employees and even employees in in the the legislature. And so it has to be separate by design to make it effective. So it is one of the rare state agencies that's elected. And so for everybody out there that's been frustrated with all of the choices of Kate Brown in our in our agency heads, right? This is one where you have a choice. You get to say who gets to be in charge of Bully. And Bully is um does a few things. Bully is in charge of 
all the civil rights cases that come through the office that are um, discrimination, sexual discrimination, disability discrimination. It also upholds fair housing. So if anyone's being discriminated on um, getting an apartment or housing, um, it would uh, oversee those claims. It also does veterans. So if veterans are looking to get um, a interview with a public sector job, they have to get an interview and they also have to get, if it's a weighted interview, they get 5% for serving their country and 10% if they're a disabled veteran. And so um, this office makes sure that that check and balance is happening. And if it's not, um, they rectify that. And so those are the things that we have. So they um, uphold civil rights cases or decide, rule on civil rights cases um, for the employee and an employer, they make sure that the employee has not been discriminated against. And if it, if the employee has been discriminated against, there will be um, fines or findings um, or to rectify it mediation type process. Um, so those are the three, the three processes. And then it oversees apprenticeships to make sure that we have, that our workforce meets the demand of, of our businesses and labor demand. And so we have to have a balance of that. And I don't know about um, you, but when I need an electrician or a plumber, it is very hard to find one right now. And so um, running for this position would be to really increase the opportunities for skilled wage jobs. And so making sure that we have more people that are working in these skilled trade jobs and what, how I want to do that is by connecting my school board experience. So on the school board, when I was on the school board, we worked really hard on a measure um, that was called Measure 98. I don't know if you two are familiar with Measure 98. It was to find a dedicated source for career and technical education, because at that point, we had really removed career and technical education from our schools um, because of the way that we were funded. And so this put in a direct uh, funding stream. So now we have the career and technical education classes inside the schools like welding. Um, I think they had auto shop when you were over there, James. At, auto shop. There was a wood shop too, I think. Yeah, but. Mountain View. Yeah, there was a wood shop. There's FFA also. Um, so those would be like the type of classes that we're talking about in schools. But what we have not done as a state is take those classes that we have for career and technical education and really build like a path or a bridge, if you will, to the skilled jobs. So if you go into your career center, most likely what you're going to talk about is college. And if you want to go to college, you know, there's all the stuff there, right? The applications for, for, um, for financial aid, for the colleges itself, who to call. But if you want to get into you know, a trade that, that there's no bridge or path that is inside of the schools. And so if we can connect those kids, I think we could really change opportunities for Oregon. So I, I like that you just said bridge there, because that's a good shameless plug for another podcast that we're friends with. Anybody who's listening to this, finish up this episode, because it's going to be a really good one, but then go listen to Oregon Bridge. Those are good guys. And we've had the friends of the pod. They've been on our, our show before. But I I, pre I really appreciate you saying that because that's it. Certainly, it's good to know a little bit about why the why the office that you're running for is in fact as important as it is, even if it's not as discussed in popular Oregon culture as much as governor or secretary of state is. But it's also really interesting to hear that the, we're right in the middle at a national level of student loan debt and student loan crisis and all this stuff that's going on. And it's 
there's a real obvious multi-trillion dollar problem that's looming over so many individuals right now. And there's a real obvious multi-trillion dollar solution in the form of high paying, high technically skilled jobs, uh, woodworking, electricians, plumbing, garbage, many, a lot of things like that. And nobody's really looking at finding a way to put the two of them together. And it sounds like it, it, I think it just needs some person to jump in as kind of the champion and say, no, 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 this is, you know, short of everybody turning on your TV and watching Mike Rowe and dirty jobs and, you know, seeing all the great stuff that you can go do even without a college education, without a high school education necessarily even, but there's a lot of opportunities still that are desperate. I mean, that's all you have to do is, you know, pick up your phone book and well, people don't use phone books anymore. Try to call an electrician, a plumber, whatever. It's a couple days, couple weeks, whatever. But I appreciate your thoughts and it kind of walking through what it is, what the office is itself. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to know what is it in your mind? What makes a successful bully commissioner? If there's somebody who's done the job well in the past that you kind of look up to, or if there's somebody that has this a particular CV or set of skills that make him or her uniquely qualified for, for the role? Um, well, I think that for too long, this agency really has been um, not filled by the correct person. Um, we haven't had someone. So this is, this is an agency. Remember, it's not an elected position. It's not like I get to go to an office like I did when I won the state legislative race and hire two people and, you know, go to the floor and use my brain capacity to try and figure out which bills to vote for and not. And what was the best thing for my community? This is an office that has a hundred and thirty employees. This is an office that has a thirty five million dollar budget and four ish offices, which I'll get to that in a second. Um, And so you have to be in a lot of places. You have to manage a lot of people. Um, They have a lot of different skill sets, right? You have people that are really specific lawyers investigating the civil rights cases. You have people who are expanding and working on um, apprenticeships. Uh, You have to have people that understand veterans, um, understand what their needs are. So you have a really complex um, agency because it's an agency and you have to have someone that has the experience. And so when we're looking at these people, we're looking at their political affiliation, which is one lens to look at things through, but also what is their experience, right? And so in our restaurant, before the pandemic, we had three locations and 104 employees. I'm the only person that's had remotely near 104 employees. Um, I'm the only person that's that's managed, you know, billion dollar budgets. I mean, so and and for a de- over a decade, one hundred sixty five million dollar budget, along with my fellow board members. And so you have to make sure that you have this experience to be able to make sure the agency is successful. But what we've had are people that have just been politicians. And so I don't think that that's really the best go at it. And I always consider myself more of a public servant. Um, because I really want to expand out the opportunities and really champion that we can do great things in Oregon for our upcoming workforce and our current workforce if we are building out education and we're building out these opportunities for these skilled wage jobs. But having the experience to run the office and understand you know, the, the policies from a statewide level, which I have, 
understanding how to manage 100, 100 plus people and millions of dollars in budget and making those work. And so I think to your question, I know that was a very long answer, Nick, but to your question, a good one. Um, we haven't had anybody. We haven't had anybody with the experience to be able to, to fix the agency. And so what we have right now is an agency that has unassigned cases for civil rights uh, claims. So that means you could have a current sexual harassment case and be in the same job and you're not even getting your case assigned. I mean, I think that's pretty deplorable. I mean, think about that. There's probably only how many people that can take that case. Why can't we get someone to assign that? That seems like the lowest hanging fruit that you could have. I mean, the case may take longer, but not even to be able to get them assigned. And on the website, it just says like, we have a backlog of unassigned cases. So um, you're going to have to be patient. And then when I went down to Medford, to go to the location that was there, I came to the building and there's a big sign that says Bureau of Labor and Industries. But when you go outside, there's no one in there that works for Bureau of Labor and Industries. And so the website for Bureau of Labor and Industries has Medford office listed. They didn't even, they closed the office, but didn't take the sign off or didn't take the address off the website. So this office really needs a lot of work. And I think it's really important for our employees and our employers that we get this right and that we strike the right balance because we need to become a, a place that is known for our workforce. And, and we can do that and we have an opportunity to do that. And I think that this office is the exact right place to make that happen. I will say, you know, as a small business owner with a couple employees and former army officer where I led a dozen or two people in the army, uh, it's a learned skill. You know, if you haven't managed people before, it, you can't just jump into it and, and do it. I mean, that's why the army is set up the way it is. I went in as a lieutenant with zero experience and they throw you in charge of people and you're expected to make a lot of mistakes and you have a lot of oversight because you don't know what you're doing, but you need that experience to then, by the time you're in a position to be a, a captain or a lieutenant colonel, that you've had enough experience that you can actually do a good job. You're not expected to do a good job when your first couple of years, you're expected to learn how to do a good job. So I think that's really, really important. But I was also going to say, you know, you're talking about your skilled wage jobs, you know, my garage door company, I have guys who make between a thousand and $1,500 a week. And I, I consider that semi-skilled because we don't have an apprenticeship program. You know, you can learn to do this job if you're, you know, technically, technically handy in a couple of weeks. Um, one of my guys taught himself how to do it. So it's, it's a little bit different than a plumber or electrician, but even that, you know, a thousand to $1,500 a week is, is pretty substantial with really not, you know, any more than a high so there's jobs out there. And I, I think that pushing people in that direction, or at least showing, sharing that that's an option is, is huge. So yeah. um, James, thank you for your service. Oh, thanks. I'm wearing my uh, Afghanistan hat. I know we're not going to be on YouTube, but <laughs> it looks good though. You're rocking it. <laughs> um, I, I'd be curious to actually ask, I was glad that you brought up your time on the school board because I, if I was doing the math, that was, this is like, 2006 to 16 or 8 to 18 or is it somewhere around there 8 to 18 yeah 18. Around, so around, was, I think I got on a nine okay 
So that would be a little bit before, in my mind at least, there's you really get to sort of some of the politicization of school boards that you see now. I know over in Yamhill County, they just they had big votes to recall a couple of their commissioners. Uh, is, is some of the different things like that. Obviously, there's now CRT that's that gets taught or gets debated about or everything like that. Do you, do you I, I guess, can I just ask, am I am I wrong? And it was still pretty even before any of that stuff? Or was it a little bit, did you kind of have more of an opportunity to say, okay, I'm an R, I'm a D, whatever, I think this, I think that, but we're trying to just get good stuff done. We're trying to increase graduation rates or average scores on SATs or everything like that. And you kind of got the opportunity to, to actually go through and do the work instead of having it be, as politicized as kind of everything is these days. Well, and I mentioned my school board, my fellow school board members, because we work together as a team and, and, and that's what it should be. It was seven of us. And um, for the majority, almost the entirety of the time that I served on the school board, I could not have told you anyone's political affiliation. Mm -hmm. Um, because we literally just worked on making the school a better place. Our whole goal while we were on the school board, we, we built four schools while I was on the school board. And we were almost the same board the entire time. Um, we had a couple small changes, but people stayed on for almost the whole time that I was on the school board. And so we were really trying to redesign what schools looked like Um from a physical standpoint and from a technical um, curriculum standpoint. And what we wanted to do was really change to the four C's of education, which are creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, and communication. And those are the modern day skills as opposed to rote memorization, which is was the transition that we were in when I first got on the school board. And so we had these... Um, seven people, myself included, that really wanted to make the biggest opportunity for our kids and really acknowledging that we live in a global economy um, and that we're not competing with our neighbor school district. We're competing with all school districts and really trying to raise that bar of rigor and provide kids with what they needed. Um, and so if you can't collaborate when you get out of high school um, on a college project or on an apprenticeship project, you're probably not going to be very successful, right? And so we wanted to make sure that we were moving towards all programs. We put in a lot of career and technical education programs, like I said, and making sure that the kids were ready for their futures. And it was very um, incredible to be part of something that was so dedicated to its cause, which I don't think we see as much of today, to your point. Um, and school boards have definitely fallen into a place where um, the, the question I always ask myself is, is this about the kids? Like, what are we doing for our kids? What are we doing for our students? And if you look at a lot of things that are happening today on school boards, if you ask that question, um, it almost isn't relevant sometimes because there's a lot of fighting. Um, and I think it's a lot of frustration. Um, but we've had a lot of frustration during the pandemic. You know, as a business owner, I've been very frustrated with all the rules and the regulations that have come our way. But now is sort of the time to refocus and 
get back to making sure we have a business-friendly office, making sure our school boards are working in the right way, that we can get our kids the highest paid jobs that we can if it's out of college or out of an apprenticeship or out of on-the-job training. Uh, and, and I think we're really ready for that. I think our society is really ready for us to start coming together and achieving things and moving the ball in a more positive way. Good. Yeah, I, I've noticed sort of with, with these politicalization of the of the school boards, you know, I, I feel like politics really should not be in schools a lot. Um, you know, maybe just a, a brief discussion of, of current events. But when you start getting political, I think that 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 is is problematic because you're, you're thumbing the scale. You're, you're teaching kids what they should be thinking. I think what the left has started to do is they take some of their pet issues and they say, oh, well, this isn't political. This is human rights. And therefore, that's how they get around that of saying, well, we're not talking about politics. We're talking about human rights. And I just I, I, it's something that I've, I've thought is very interesting because we don't we try to fight, push back on that. And it's like, well, are you against human rights? Well, no, um, I just think that those discussions are better to have at home rather than in the classroom. Uh, anyway, just an observation that I had that I. Yeah. We need to give them the skills to be able to think for themselves. Yeah. We should not be teaching them what to think. Yeah. That's why the collaboration, critical thinking and critical thinking is huge. Um, give them complex problems and let them think through it. And their process is what's important, not their answer, right? Because they're allowed to come to whatever conclusion they want and should be. Um, but that's that's what we need to be doing is working together. And when we built those four schools, we built these areas in the center where you can collaborate and work together. And so we really redesigned what a high school looked like um, by putting these um glass rooms so that you could have quiet and then then bigger spaces that were like maker spaces so that you could make things and work together and not be confined by the 940 square feet of a classroom. And so it was it was a really amazing process. But that's the intention of learning, right? Is to make sure that you're working together. And if we're teaching kids how to what to think, we're we're not working together, we're giving them the answer. And that's not the intention. I try and I, I find myself doing that with my 11 year old a lot is giving her the answer instead of asking her the question because it, it's quicker, right? But it's so important to ask her how she feels about things, what she thinks about things instead of telling her, um, you know, in, in a quick, fast paced movement of our day to tell her, what to think, right? Um, it's so important that we let our kids think for themselves. I always remember my 11th grade history teacher, he said the first day, he said, I just want to let you guys know, we don't do multiple choice tests in here. We do essays. And I, the class groaned and I, yeah, admittedly, I might wrist sounded like a cement mixer after every exam, but I was just like, what do you, like, isn't it, do you just run them through a scan? Try, like, it's going to take you so much less time, whatever. And his answer was multiple choice tests, test what you don't know, essays test what you do. And I was always, even like, you know, 17 year old, I was like, oh man, like that's a really good way of thinking about it. I kind of wish more people would ask this, like what we do know as students or what we do think about or what we do have the capability to do instead of, oh, you forgot that Constantinople fell in 1453, like B minus. And it's just like, well, that doesn't, I, everything else that I said was still right. I just, you know, messed up one date or whatever. Like I selected B instead of C, but it's, um, 
it really is. And especially, so I'm, I'm, I'm gesticulating towards our bedroom. My wife is laying down with the dog doing, doing her best to keep him quiet right now. Um, but my <laughs> wife is a teacher. Yeah. Right. You can, it's not working. It's not working so good, but hopefully the, the audience. Can't hear him. Yeah. That's not wood. Fingers crossed. I don't even um, hear his snorting. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's how you know, then, then it is working. Cause he, Ben snorts real loud as I frequent listeners to this podcast will know, cause he's been a guest on here before. Um, but she is a teacher. She's a fourth grade teacher. And I, we've now been married for, it's coming up on four years. We've been together for six. And it's just really interesting to think how, like on a literal, on a day-to-day basis, and especially on a day-to-day basis going through coronavirus, how do you provide an education for children? How do you try to get them to make the most of, you know, whatever, if it's fractions, if it's history, if it, whatever it is, because especially at that age, that's the building blocks where you need to go through and put stuff together so that in high school, you can it's like I we just my sister-in-law is 24 and I'm I'm assuming she's not going to listen to this so she won't mind me saying but she had to she, we we helped her move this morning and she had to to unscrew a mirror from her wall and she said can you can you bring your drill and we said okay yeah sure so we we ran a U-Haul of stuff over to our new apartment and then we were like okay you know we dropped the U-Haul back off and it's like here's the toolbox if you need you know anything is in there I, the drill is in there and she looks at me and she panicked and she was like well I, I don't know how to use a drill and it's like you're about to learn to use how to use a drill then. I don't know what else to tell you, but that's the <laughs> go on YouTube or something. I don't know. Like, first off, it's not that hard. Second off, yeah, you can't just call me every time you need to, you know, find a, a stud and install a mirror into a wall. Like that's I, I, literally in this case, I've given you the tools, like you need to figure out how to use them. And that's, and not making a commentary on any kind of my sister-in-law's education or whatever, but like, that's the type of practical thing. Like there's so many different things that just 22 year olds come out of our education system thinking they're you, you, Harvard graduates thinking you're the smartest person in the world or whatever. But if you don't know how to balance a checkbook, if you don't know how to clean a kitchen, if you don't know how to, I mean, there are all of these tons of little basic life skills that like, if you do kind of how to teach you docs in place, you're a lot better off in, in any field you choose. Or know where to where to find the answers, or how to teach yourself, because you're you're not going to know any everything. But learning how to learn, I think, is a very important skill. Yeah, my wife well, sits on. Somebody asked a question. She, What's yeah, that? My, my wife will sit YouTube and just Google stuff. Oh, sorry. YouTube helps a lot with that, right? Like you know, yeah. she could grab YouTube and figure out how to use the drill on YouTube. Yeah, there's a channel called Dad, How Do I? And it's just, it's a dad who, dad, how do I change a light bulb? Dad, how do I, you know, fix a, you know, change my tires or something like that? And it's just all relatively beginner to intermediate stuff. But it's like, that's I 80% of the time that I talk to my dad, I'm just like, hey, you know, how do I? Well, not 80%, but five or 10% of the time. I don't know how to, you know, my car's making this noise. What do you think? And I, I just did that a couple of weeks ago. He said, oh, that's the mass airflow sensor. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, now I know what that is. Like he's 1500 miles away. He knew what was going on in my car, but I've never taken any kind of, uh, you know, like auto mechanic shop, like Jimbo, you had the opportunity to do. Yeah. I don't think I actually took that, but, um, so Sherry, I did have one question I wanted to ask you, um, some of the Republican Facebook pages and whatnots, uh, your name has been floating around obviously because we're a few days out from an election and one of the big, I hope it's floating on more than a few of them. (laughs) Well, I I try to stay off them is the the reason that's fair. There's a lot of toxicity that goes on in there, but one of the criticisms that I heard about you is you, one of the, some of the votes you took specifically around vaccines back before the coronavirus, uh, 
pandemic. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of respond to that and why why those people should vote for you anyway. Well, I think um, we talked about that with qualifications. I also think that this office is very unique and specific, and we've talked a lot about that. Mm -hmm. Um, What you should be looking at in this office is who can bring the change in the direction that our businesses and our employees need. Um, And you cannot um, write laws from this office. There will be no law that I can write or pass from this office. You have to do that in the legislature. And so that is a big, um, a big part of, of this office is just upholding the laws and interpreting the laws. And when you interpret the laws, the Supreme court has been very strong on what that means for businesses. And the Supreme court has, um, shot down uh, President Biden's um, workforce laws on vaccines. And so that is not something that can be upheld or worked on. Um, but I also do want to talk a little bit about the difference between the vaccines that we have currently. Um, that Those vaccines were for diseases that have been eradicated, um, such as polio and measles. And those are um, in schools with kids. And that's how we've done that in our since you know, the beginning of time in our country where the coronavirus has been different. Um, and so COVID vaccines have been a different thing. We have not put those in place in our business um, and did not during the pandemic. So we've never used vaccine cards in our business. We've never required our employees to have vaccines. Okay, good, yeah. Well, we are getting toward the end of the podcast. Uh, one of the things we do like to ask our guests before we let you go is who is your favorite Republican, if you've got one? Um, my favorite Republican would be Bev Clarno. Um, oh. Bev Clarno was the um, Speaker of the House. She was a Republican from uh, Madras, and then she became our Secretary of State. And I had the privilege of working in the legislature when she was our Secretary of State. And what is it about Bev that really stood out? I, I don't know her. I don't. I'm not I real familiar with her. Than... James, she's amazing. All right, I'll um, give her a call. <laughs> she um, got sworn in as Secretary of State when um, the late Dennis Richardson passed away. Uh, and that was a tough loss for us. I was in the legislature for that as well. It was a very bit, uh, sad time um, and a great loss for our state. And when Bev was sworn in, she was 83 years old. She was the oldest secretary of state to ever be sworn in. And so she said, you can look at it one or two ways. I either bring a lot of wisdom or um, or a lot of age. I'm going for wisdom. And so she drove back and forth um, from Salem to Redmond, where she lives, and served with just the most high integrity of anyone you've ever seen. And so it was really beautiful to see her step into that position um, for a fellow Republican who she worked with um, that had passed away and be appointed and do a great job. And so for me, she is just amazing. And she's still trying to fight um, the fight to make sure that Oregon is on the right track and the right path. And she's done that for many, many years for us. And so I think we all owe her a little bit of gratitude for her service to our state. And when I'm 85, I'm hoping that I am uh, retired and you all no longer need me. I always say (laughs) only 
I only run for things where I feel that I'm needed. And when I'm not needed, I won't run. Um, Cause if there's someone else that can do it and do it better, then I won't, I won't be there. And so on my school board, I stepped aside um, because I felt that they were, they were in, you know, doing a great job and that I could go to the state legislature. And now I think that this is the calling that I have because of the experience that I have with all of, you know, my hats that I've worn in the past. I'm glad we, we've also seen you give a speech one time in which there were many literal hats that you had brought to the speech. <laughs> uh, we, we didn't get that today, but we didn't have the YouTube anyway, but that is a uh, cheers to Secretary Clarno. And definitely we hope when, Sherry, when you're 85, that you've accomplished all the things that you want to accomplish and we'll get you back on the podcast and I uh, will talk some good Cajun recipes or something. Okay, so what do you think podcasts look like when I'm 85? I will probably have like telepathy or something like that. And (laughs) who even knows? We'll have to stay on top of things, though. (laughs) Will we talk faster or slower? Wow. If I know me, probably slower. I talk pretty (laughs) fast enough as it is. My wife gives me a hard time for it. So I'm going to have to slow down at some point. (laughs) Oh, you did mention the learning loss, which I think is a really important thing. Thank your wife for teaching our kids. That is a thankless job. And fourth grade is a really hard year. Um, My daughter was in the pandemic during fourth grade and so lost a portion of her fourth grade. And fractions are the issue that we are still working on because it's lost. And so we've got to regain it. Um, But I do think there's a lot of kids that were in high school during the pandemic and didn't get the hands-on learning, didn't get the skills that they needed and dropped out of school and also have do not have you know, the skills or direction that they need at this time because of you know, this two-year pause that they essentially went on. And so that's gonna be a big um, vacancy in our workforce and that needs to be addressed. And I think we can do that uh, through the Bully office with creating opportunities and reaching out to those kids specifically. Great. Well, Sherry, thank you again for coming on the podcast. I'm glad we had the time to do this and listeners, we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the rational Republican podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.